And welcome back to another week of the Peachtree Post. Back to full strength. Back to recording. No, uh, no playoffs right now. So we're back to a regular schedule program. Alongside Jason Longshore, I'm Jarrett Smith. Here to talk about soccer, about Atlanta, in Atlanta, for Atlanta. Um, and it, Atlanta's going to take kind of a backseat to start us off here, Jason, because uh, we got a rivalry game, man. This is the biggest game the U.S. plays every four years and the friendlies are, are fun and the friendlies are good. You know, don't get me wrong when us Mexico play at any time, it's a big occasion. The qualifiers every four years are the biggest games that the U S plays outside of a world cup. It's, it's huge. Yeah. It's, um, and it's, it's a tough gauntlet to start. We talk about how, uh, I know a lot of people have talked about how it how the U.S. is going to react because they have two tough games coming up right out of the gate. They're playing two big games, uh, Mexico right away, and I think it's Costa Rica next. Yes. Um, that can really, like, worst case scenario, let's say you bomb both of those games right out the bat. You're at the bottom of the ladder and a couple of the legs, all a couple of the uh, rungs of the ladder have been cut off. Well, here's the problems. thing. Here's the thing to consider with this. Um, the U.S. has never been in this type of spot to have this tough of an opening to the Hex. Um, the Hex has been CONCACAF's way of World Cup qualifying since 1998. So there's a decent bit of history to look back at. Uh, Mexico had this route one time. Um, they played the U.S., then they played at Costa Rica. They split. They lost the U.S. game, um, I believe it was 2009, and then they won the Costa Rica game, um, and it went on to qualify. But here's the two things that jump out to me when I did the research on it. Four points in the first two games, which would be a win and a draw, almost guarantees qualification. There's only been one time that a team has pulled off four points or more in the first two games and didn't qualify. It was Guatemala in 2006. The flip side of that is this. Only one team has ever come back from two losses in the first two games, and it was 2006. It was Trinidad and Tobago who got into the playoff. They got the fourth spot after two losses in the first two games. Nobody's done better than that. So it's it's big, and you know you don't want to overstate it because it is these are two games out of ten, but momentum – carries a lot of weight in qualifying and this is this goes for both teams to be honest because mexico has a lot of pressure on them as well it's it's a tough way to open and it's a tough way to open for both of these teams because there's a lot riding on this one i think it i think it's a it's psychological thing for mexico as well though because they're playing in columbus you knew this game was going to be in columbus there's nowhere else you were going to hold this event for mexico if they come out and get a draw You've gone into Mexico, you've gone into Columbus, excuse me, where the Dos Acero ghost lives. And let's say you come out with a draw, I think there's less pressure on them because then they've got America coming into, assumedly, uh, Estadio Azteca, which is roughly, scientifically, uh, I don't know, 250 miles above sea level. And you've got them coming into your house next. I think if Mexico pulls a draw out of this, they've got to feel good going forward. I mean, they get what... I don't know if it's the toughest game. 
out of the way first, but it certainly is kind of the monkey on the back game out of the way first. Yeah, this is Mexico's toughest game. Um, I didn't want to. Do, I didn't want to short sell any other teams in the hex. I don't mean to. No, un- until until things change uh, over a longer period of time, Mexico's toughest game in the hex is at the U.S. and in Columbus until things change, and the the Americans' toughest game is at Mexico. That's just how it is. Um, the Costa Rica games at Costa Rica are very very difficult. However. U.S. Mexico is the big rivalry in CONCACAF and it will be for the foreseeable future. Um, the thing about Mexico in this game, I, I, I almost take it one step further. If they get a goal, they break the Dos Acero hex and that's going to give them confidence. You know, when you've seen now, I think it's almost in Mexico's head about 2-0 in Columbus. You, you almost see them a goal down before the game even starts. And you have to remember they're coming off of the 7-0 loss to Chile and Copa America Centenario, which really broke their spirit in a lot of ways. They were playing very well up to that point. That came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, people started questioning the national team, questioning the players, questioning the manager who has done well outside of that one game. And there's a ton of pressure on Mexico. There's always pressure on Mexico, but right now, there's even more based off of that game and based off of the Dos Acero history in Columbus. That's, um, I guess that's the kind of way I'm with it as well, is that if they get that first goal, the weight is lifted. Like, if you, like the worst case scenario for me is if Mexico goes out and scores in the first like 15 minutes through either high pressing or they get on the counter or there's some bad clearance. Like, I, the, what pops into my mind, honestly, is the USA Portugal game in the World Cup where the bad clearance literally lands at the feet of an opponent in the box and he can just slot home. Like just some stupid, something stupid, some stupid play that gives them an opportunity to get that goal and get the monkey off their back. And then they kind of lock in is what I'm afraid of, I guess is that. Um, And then no, what I, what I think of is the U S Mexico game in 1997. So this was for 98 qualifying. It's the last time the U.S. did not beat Mexico in a World Cup qualifier on U.S. soil. It's the last time that game wasn't played in Columbus. And the first goal was Casey Keller, a ball played back to him. He's just playing it long. And Carlos Hermosillo gave kind of, not a high press, but kind of passive pressure. And he jumped when Keller went to clear it. And Keller cleared it into Hermosillo's face. And it went in the goal. And that opened it. And it's, like then, a, it's like a U19 decision. The game was nuts. Uh, that So that opened it. The U.S. scored twice to go up 2-1. Or no, uh, sorry. The U.S. scored. Then Mexico scored to go up 2-1. Then Mexico had a pretty bad own goal to go 2-2. It was just one of those games. And that was the last time that Mexico earned a point in qualifying in the U.S. It was the last time the game wasn't in, in Columbus. As far as the Dos Acero is concerned, I will forever believe that uh, it wasn't the last time. I think it was the time before uh, when the U.S. won 2-0. And I think it was Dempsey had a it penalty. Was, it was last time. And Dempsey had a penalty in like the 88th minute. I will for I will go to my grave believing he missed that intentionally to keep the 2-0 alive. <laughs> it would make a lot of sense. Uh, he, he looked at that scoreboard and went, nah, 
uh, your, your punishment's got to be more severe than that. I, I've, seen, it. I've seen people reference that Landon Donovan like walked over to him and said something right before he took the penalty. And people have said it. He said, hey, miss it. They, it a, another 2-0 was more damaging to their, than, to their psyche than a 3-0, honestly. It, it is in some ways. Because, um, again, you come into this game with Mexico already thinking four straight games. 2-0 in Columbus in this stadium. And tomorrow it's going to be cold. Uh, they're talking about a low of around 30. Oh, so, God. Yeah. So that kind of gets me to um, to what, to what a guy we mentioned last week who got called into the national team, who you wanted to be called in more, but uh, Alan Gordon's in. Like Alan, Alan, yes. Alan Gordon jumping around in 30-degree weather, bouncing off of Mexican defenders, just – doesn't sound fun at all if you're trying to defend him. No, and you have to think about this. Uh, you know, he's not going to start. No, but, but if he comes off the bench and he just starts trying to wreck shop in the box and you're cold and tired. He gives you the option two ways. If you're chasing the game late, you can you can get more direct over the top and Gordon will, will wreck things in the box. You also have the option if you have a lead to play him up top and just play direct and let him fight for it. Mexico and and uh, Juan Carlos Osorio specifically have said that they are worried about the Americans' advantage in the air. And Gordon just ratchets that up another notch. So, you know, it gives you an option. It gives you more of a bruiser to play up top if you need it. And this game could head in that direction very easily. Yeah, the the aerial advantage is absolutely there. And set pieces get really fun in that instance because you have a guy like Gordon who can come off the bench. Um, you, I guess... You John you, Brooks. Yeah, I was gonna, that's who I was going to go to next. You have John Brooks who's shown what he can do. Um, if Omar Gonzalez plays, Omar Gonzalez is 6'5". Very he's my, good in the air. He's, he's my size. It's a, it's a very large human being. Um, <clears throat> you have... You have Altador, who, while not as tall, is can jump off of the field into the next level of the atmosphere and is stronger than just about everybody as long as his legs don't explode and his hamstring doesn't end up at the, you know, on the touchline. You have plenty of aerial, aerial advantage on a cold night. It, I mean, just get – they could absolutely get physical with him. And, uh, I mean, I could absolutely see that happening, though. Like, USA presses, gets a couple set pieces. Uh, I don't know if you have Zussi take your corners or what. But just put the ball in the box and let the size do the work. You can do that through set pieces. You can also do it through the run of play against Mexico. Oh, yeah. um, Mexico. I just think about set pieces to get a guy like Brooks or Gonzalez yeah. up into the box. For sure. But um, Altador or Wood or Gordon, if if the time calls for it, can be dangerous on crosses from open play. Because where Mexico is going to struggle defensively is out wide. They, they like to pack the middle um, no matter how they play. If it's a 4-3-3 or this 3-3-3-1 uh, three, 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 type of look that they do sometimes, uh, either way, they're, they're kind of narrow. And their wide players are very good going forward, not as good defensively. So this is going to be a game where uh, Fabian Johnson, DeAndre Yedlin, or Timmy Chandler, if he plays, uh, and also a Christian Pulisic, if he's out wide, 
can get some crosses into dangerous positions and really put a lot of pressure on on Mexico center backs in bad matchups for them. That's that's what pops into my mind is the idea of Pulisic trying to beat somebody one on one and then laying a ball off to an overlapping Fabian Johnson down the touchline and just crossing the ball into Alan Gordon, our most patriotic lighthouse. If Alan Gordon gets a goal in this game, uh, I don't know. I, I I will. I don't know what to think. Well, I honestly hope it's like a one nothing game. They put Gordon in late just for the purposes of being able to play more direct, and he just gets some trash goal in like the 89th minute to make it 2-0. To preserve the 2-0. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, it's it's interesting. Gordon, I actually really do like that call up. Um, oh, so do I. There I mean, wasn't were, another you were, option. You were hooking on it. You were, you were, I know you were pushing for it last week. Yeah, his kind of career resurgence uh, since he left San Jose and went to L.A. has been just fascinating to watch. I mean, this is a guy, if if you haven't read Grant Wall's book, uh, The Beckham Experiment, about Beckham's first couple years with the Galaxy, it's it's a must read anyway. But Alan Gordon at that point was making between forty dollars and $50,000 a year uh, as a backup backup forward for the galaxy and went to San Jose and found a niche in a, in a team and a system that worked for him with Steven Linhart pairing up with him up top and just being the Bruce brothers and, and scrapping and fighting everybody. And then when he went to LA, it was like, okay, he's going to go back to LA and kind of, you know, end his career. That's nice. And this second half of the season, when, when he really earned the starting spot for the galaxy who struggled most of the year, it was putting Gordon in up top from the start that rescued their season and got them into the playoffs and got them where, you know, as far as they did. So he, he absolutely earned this call up and he could be very useful in both of these games in Costa Rica as well, because he brings an element that Mexico and Costa Rica will struggle with, which is a physical center forward. Yeah. He's big. He's physical. I mean, he's, it's, it's ugly soccer sometimes like i know we've associated it with and some people still roll their eyes and the idea of especially like the women uh who still tried to play that uh, abby wambach style of we're just going to cross the ball into the box and we're just going to brood at home it works with gordon he can do that it works with altador who can hold up play against two or three guys at a time um yeah, Josie can Josie can play a little bit more in open space, and yeah. Gordon is definitely much more of that back to goal, old school number nine. But Gordon can play with the ball at his feet a little bit better than I think he gets credit for sometimes. So, and, and that's, that, that's, that's a huge yeah, because you don't expect it. That's yeah, the exactly. biggest thing. You're you sitting see. on him, thinking he's going to lay it off and make a run into the box or something, and he might cut on you. Well, you, you see the size and you don't think he can play. So you kind of allow him to, to face up with the ball. And he's a good passer. He can bring others into the game. He's he's a player and he, he brings something that, you know, honestly, you look back at 2014 when, when Altidore went down. And the problem then is you didn't have another number nine. And that team was really based around the four, two, three, one and a target forward. So you could relieve pressure. I think, you know, we're, we have some different tools at our disposal now, but you still need that. So if Josie's not effective or if you need a second forward or if just the situation in the game calls for it, now you have a player like that and Alan Gordon on the bench. 
I'm fine with that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know what the hell formation that uh, Jurgen's going to come out with. I'm not sure he knows. Uh, I'm not sure that it will be a formation. It might just be here's 11 guys on the field. Then you know here here's your area. It might look like a Jackson Pollock painting, but the two O is still there. Um, it's formation's an interesting thing. Um, I think both managers are essentially playing a game of chicken at this point because neither one knows what the other is going to do. And they're going to have to give themselves some flexibility in who they play to adjust because the U S this summer, especially in Copa America Centenario, they went to the four, four, two and it worked for them. Uh, part of it was to, to get a pairing up top that worked. Bobby Wood's playing well. Let's get him in the lineup. Um, they had traditionally, like we just talked about with 2014, played the 4-2-3-1. So they could go either way. Mexico's kind of waiting to see because Mexico likes to play either a 4-3-3 or the three center backs in a 3-3-3-1 type of combination. So if it's two forwards up top, that 3-3-3-1 can work because then you have a free man as kind of a not exactly a sweeper, but a free a free defender who can pick up anything that happens. Um, if you play four in the back against two forwards, then those center backs are isolated. And generally, Osorio doesn't want to be in that situation. So both teams are kind of like, well, what's, what, what is the other guy going to do? How are we going to adjust? How are we going to be able to react to this? So that part's going to be fascinating to see if – you know, how, how these lineups come out and then if teams adjust on the fly to what the other team's doing. And you got into it a little bit, and I was hoping we'd go there next, and I know you'd wanted to, is <clears throat> we get into Mexico and what they're going to do with that three 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 one or the uh, the four three three. Uh There was an article on 442 yesterday, uh, as I throw out more formations, about whether or not Giovanni DeSantos has a place on this starting lineup. I don't, I don't think depth. he does. Like because of the depth, you get down into it, and it talks about uh, whether or not he does or not. And yeah, like you said, I mean, you've got Guardados out there who might come to Atlanta. Um, by the way, if you want more information on that, uh, check out the Peach Pit up on iTunes and every other form of podcast. Uh, Jason went into it yesterday or today a bit. Yesterday, if you're kind of listening to this Friday, he goes and uh, talked about Guardado for a little bit. Uh, Marco Fabian as well, and then Raul Jimenez. Like, is there room for uh, Giovanni? I don't think so. I think if he plays, the best spot for him to be effective would be underneath the forward or forwards. Um, but I think Marco Fabian is playing better. I mean, Fabian's kind of turned his career around a little bit this season at, at Frankfurt. Um, he's got three goals and four assists in eight games. And the biggest thing he adds is, is the long-distance shooting. So he kind of opens the, the back line up a little bit. If they play Gio out wide, I don't think he's as effective, and I think Mexico has has better options out there um, that can hurt the U.S. You have uh, Jesus Corona, who for me would be in my lineup every time. I think he's just one of the best young players in, in North America. Uh, you have Jurgen Dom and Herving Lozano, and those two guys are even faster than Corona. So... I think you'll see Mexico try to use that speed out wide to really put pressure on Yedlin and Fabian Johnson. 
possibly there's there's some talk that Timmy Chandler might earn a spot in the U.S. lineup because you have to remember the the October friendlies. Klinsman, one of the players that he kind of bashed in his comments was Yedlin and said he had a, a bad camp and didn't play well. Chandler's been playing well at Frankfurt with Fabian, so maybe you see Chandler start on the right instead of Yedlin this time. Either way, I think Mexico's speed out wide will be more of a challenge for the U.S. than playing Dos Santos out wide. So Mexico has some pieces that can really hurt the U.S., and, and most of them are in you know the attack. I think Mexico's attack can be very dangerous. Yeah, and that's that's the thing for me is if you the place Dos Santos I think would fit is in that three 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 one like just sitting right behind, uh, assumedly Chicharito whose career renaissance never ceases to amaze me, um, but just sitting behind him and having the ability and the permission to just wander the field and be able to play all over the place and put pressure. Uh, don't think for a minute, by the way, that if Timmy Chandler starts on the right back that. Jurgen won't find a way to put Yedlin somewhere totally absurd. Oh, that's always true. Um, depending on on how they play, if they play a four two three one, you easily could play Yedlin on the right in front of Chandler. Yeah. Which I it's I don't like it, but it's not that crazy. Um, There's the not big, enough alcohol for me. <laughs> yeah, the big question for the U.S. is what they do in terms of who plays in the central midfield around Michael Bradley. It sounds like it's going to be Jermaine Jones from all of the comments, um, from all the comments about what Klinsman's been saying in the pregame. It looks like Jermaine Jones is going to play. So if you expect Bradley to be the number six Jones to play with him as kind of the mixed box to box midfielder, then is it Alejandro Bedoya or is it Sasha Kleschen? If it's Bedoya, you're going to probably see a more defensive posture. If it's Kleschen, you're going to see the U.S. more proactive and going forward more. Uh, how angry? Uh, how angry does Colorado get if Jermaine Jones like pulls something in this game? Extremely. Master any might go ahead, but Klinsman on his own. <laughs> as long as there's video, I'm fine with that. Um, I'm looking at. The MLS starting expected starting lineup for Atlanta or for US, sorry. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it kind of looks that way where Fabian Johnson, John Brooks, Omar Gonzalez, who I think Omar Gonzalez has earned his spot here. I agree. Um, he has been playing out of his mind. I think he deserves it. Yedlin, uh, Pulisic, Jermaine Jones, Michael Bradley, Bedoya. Um, see, I just need to follow Bedoya's Twitter account if they win to, to uh, Dos Acero because I'm sure he'll be totally graceful. If that happens. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you can count on that. Uh, and then Josie and Bobby Wood. And then Mexico, they had pegged for that 3-3-3-1. Um, the things that pop out is, yeah, there's no... Dos- oh, actually, they have Dos Santos listed to start. So, you know, what do we know? Uh, not that I've that means seen, he's going to. But I've seen so many different projected Mexico lineups. Um, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, These two countries... These two countries were made for each other, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Osorio is just really hard to predict, and he likes to rotate his, his lineups. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably a flip of the coin on if Geo starts, but I, I think Fabian, with his play in Germany, has earned it. 
So, and in that, I think that would mean Guardado would play deeper to protect the back line. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I really just want to see, I think when we see the lineups, we'll get an idea of what everyone wants to do. Like you said, whether or not it's, uh, uh, Sasha's in there, um, we get an idea kind of what to expect. Like, are they going to be aggressive? Are they going to kind of sit back and, you know, get into the game later? Are they going to try and jump out right away? Like I wouldn't be shocked if America tries to jump out right away because let's face it, given the history, as we've talked about in the psychological edge, if America goes on a dream start and scores in like the seventh minute right away, uh, it feels like you've put Mexico at a well. Absolutely. If there's an early goal for the U.S., then all of the Dosocero talk just picks up and Mexico thinks, here we go again. Yeah. And it's not even, okay, we can get back in this. It's, oh, Christ, here we are right back, right back where we started. And yeah, that one, like you said, the psychological edge of that one O just feels like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you watched any college football last weekend when any team plays Alabama, it's like, oh, they're down seven points. Yeah. Well, seven looks like 300. And yeah. when you're psychologically down like that, that one goal can just, it makes that goal look, it, it makes that goal feel like it's a mile away. And and that's why I think the U.S. should start Sasha Kleschen and, and be more proactive from the jump. Um, Fine with that. I think if you can go and get an early goal in the first 15 minutes, you win the game. I just, I don't see Mexico coming back from a goal down. I think if Mexico gets an early goal, then, like we said, that curse of Dos Acero is broken, and then Mexico is flying with confidence. I think the first goal decides the game, and the U.S. has to be proactive looking for it. I just my whole thing is I don't want you. I don't want after ninety minutes tomorrow night. I don't want to feel like well, America's going to have to go get a result in uh, Estadio Azteca. That's the last thing you want. So, well, I don't think you're even you're not even getting to that part. You're you don't want to put extra pressure on the Tuesday game in Costa Rica is is more important because if you lose, let's say you lose in Columbus, then you have to go down and get something out of Costa Rica, which is not an easy one. Um, no. It's it's not a place that the U.S. has had much success. So you know you need to. You need to be smart in this game. You need to not get down early. Uh, I guess when I say that I want the U.S. to be proactive, I, I think I want the U.S. to be in in a posture that gives them a chance to create chances. I don't. They don't need to press. They don't need to be reckless early. Um, they need to let the game come to them. But they also, I think they're better off with Kleschen as the attacking midfielder in front of Bradley and Jones because Kleschen can unlock things. And I think he's very important in that regard. And I don't think there's another player who can do it. And in the same vein, we talked about Omar Gonzalez earning his spot. Kleschen earned his spot over and over and over again this year. So uh, with his club play at New York. Yeah, 100%. The only question about Kleschen is the broken nose that he suffered in the playoff game on Sunday if that's affecting him. Um, haven't I, heard anything along those lines. I could not get that image out of my head. <laughs> just, I felt so bad for him. He's just like a faucet. Well, the quote he had after the game talking about what actually scared him was all the blood running down the back of his throat. Oh, that, that was, that was one. Yeah, I, I've never had a broken nose, so I don't know what it's like. But I've given one, but I've never gotten one. So <laughs> Nice. Not intentional. 
Sure, sure. That's what they always say. Right before it happens. Um, and I think you had plans as well, Jason. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to get on this hill or not. Uh, the Michael Bradley Hill. Yes. Um, I think Michael Bradley is extremely important in this game. Um, like we talked about with either Giovanni Dos Santos or, or Marco Fabian, either one of those players is going to be key for Mexico's attack. They're going to be the one kind of launching the attacks. That was where Bradley will break things up. Um, Bradley, now that he is, I think it is accepted by club and country that he's a, a defensive midfielder, a number six. Um, he's played well and he takes like, too much criticism. I think we remember the, the misplayed passes from him more than the little things that you, you kind of have to look for. His positioning is very good. He breaks up plays. Um, he has a lot of connecting passes in the back and kind of springs things, not as a playmaker, but as getting the ball to a playmaker. He is going to be critical in this game because if if he has a – say, say it's him and Jones and Bradley has a bad game, Mexico will run riot through the middle because Jones is not disciplined enough to – to protect Bradley, say Bradley's struggling. Jones will be running everywhere trying to do what he does. And then, you know, our back line is exposed. So Bradley having a strong game here is very important for the U S and this season he's played very well and he's been very important for Toronto's run and he's been important for the U S and that needs to continue in Columbus. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I understand what you mean. We um, we were talking about it in the pre-show that there's the moments that you remember of Bradley with the bad giveaways, and I I'm very guilty of it on Twitter of like you know every time uh, every time Michael Bradley gives a ball away in the mid in the midfield like head scratching giveaway and Angel gets its wings, and then at the same time there's passes like the like when we were talking about during the last World Cup cycle, and I think you said it was uh, Fabian Johnson on the receiving end. I believe so. Yeah. Where Bradley just chips it over the defense. I mean, just drops it right at Johnson's feet with a little bit of backspin that just lands at his feet and stops perfectly for Johnson to slot at home. Like, just the brilliant moments that he's capable of. Um, And that's the thing. I don't, I don't, you don't need him to be brilliant. You don't need him to be life changing. You just need him to be solid. And that he is more than capable of that. You need him to be solid and you need him to hold down, hold down the fort. Yeah, you're not asking him to 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 be a number ten to link everything no. up. No, and and that's where I think he's been exposed at times. And people remember, you know, his struggles as playing as a ten. He's not a ten; he's a six. And you play him in that position. You play him as a defensive midfielder, and you let him do what he does best. I think he's he's still one of the best players in North America. He's still extremely important. I mean, when you have. The, the rumors are, are out there pretty strongly that Italian clubs have been interested in bringing him back to Serie A. That doesn't happen by accident. You know, these things, Bradley doesn't play a flashy game. And when he tries to, he doesn't look good. When he just plays his solid, smart game, he's extremely effective. And he's going to need to do that tomorrow night in Columbus for the U.S. to have a, a good chance here. It's just, it's play under control. 
play under control and I think it'll be fine. Play under control, you know, minimize those bad mistakes. Don't let them happen in, in spots that can hurt you. But, you know, you, you think of a bad pass that he makes and then you go back and you look at the stats from a game and he's connecting on, you know, 85 to 90 percent of his passes. So he has, you know, one to five bad passes a game. And you remember those instead of the 25 to 35 that are good. So I, I think Bradley's he, – he's not respected enough for what he brings to the team. I think it's fair. Um, and we'll have more on this game after it happens. You know, it's it'll be a couple of days before we get back into it. Um, so what's your I can, prediction? I need a prediction out of you. That's what I was about to ask you. Um I'm going to stick with the Dos Acero. I think it. I think it lives. I think they get an early uh, goal. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be two one. I just. I think Mexico's attack is too good to keep off the board completely. Um, I think probably the way it goes, and if if it's going to be two one, I think this would be the way that we hope it goes. The U.S. gets up two nil, and then. Uh, gives up a goal, you know, maybe kind of late and it has to hold on that way. Like everybody gets something out of this. Mexico gets to break the Dos Acero stretch and find some confidence moving forward. The U S still gets their win. They get to open qualifying the right way. Everybody can come out of the game with something that way. I just don't see the U S keeping Mexico off the board. I, I don't think it's, it's going to be possible. Not without Jeff Cameron, not with, you know, it's not a makeshift back line, but you know, it's not it's, your best back line. It's not your best back line. And then just Mexico is coming in with their attackers in good form. I mean, Chicharito scoring every other game with his club. Uh, Carlos Vela scoring goals. Let's not forget Chicharito is doing it in, in Bundesliga. He's not like doing it in, in no disrespect to the Nordic leagues. It's not like he's doing it in Iceland. He's, he's, he's doing it in Bundesliga against world class and, champ, and champions league, uh, yeah. Europa league. He's, He's doing it against the best. Chicharito's got seven goals in 15 games. Marco Fabian's got three goals in eight games. Carlos Vela's got four goals and an assist in 11 games in La Liga with Real Sociedad. They've got players who can score goals. Uh, Guardado's playing very well with PSV right now. Scoring goals will not be a problem for Mexico. Uh, I think they'll get one, but I think the U.S. will get two. I, I, I'll stand by my 2-0, just that USA gets a goal early puts the psychological edge on and I think there will be plenty of game from Mexico. They're not going to, they're not going to stay beaten down for 90 minutes. I think it'll be a really fun game to watch, but I think uh, that and a late goal from us seals the two zero. And then we go on to, uh, to Costa Rica and fight that battle on another day. Yeah, that's going to be tough. And, you know, maybe I'll probably do a, a peach pit um, about that game ahead of that. Because a lot of you know what we're kind of expecting in Costa Rica will be based off how things go in Columbus. It's it's going to be difficult. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be a very difficult place to get three points. So you want to come out of Columbus with with three points, ideally, to set yourself up for a good run in in the hex. I mean, but how good do you feel if you go in there and you get six points, like? Not even, not even just you have six points and you're on top of the hex. The psychological boost will be wonderful as well. I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you go back and you look at the numbers. The 
history shows that if you get four points out of the first two games, you're going to qualify. So that's a win and a draw. That's what you play for is a win at home, draw on the road. Um, if you somehow get six points, every team that's gotten six points in their first two games has qualified. So a good start will get you to Russia and get you to the World Cup in 2018, and you don't want to be coming chasing from behind to get there. If Just look at the numbers. If, if say, let's say catastrophe and the U.S. loses both, which is, is not out of the realm of possibility. No. Then you're looking to get you have 24 points out there to get maximum and 17 is your magic number. 17 points has always gotten you to the World Cup. That's 17 out of 24 points. That gives you, you know, very little room for error. You don't want to be there. So, you want to get a win and preferably you want to get a win in the first game, take a little bit of pressure off the trip to Costa Rica and just set yourselves up for a much smoother road to the World Cup. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, that Costa Rica game is on Tuesday of next week. Hey, uh, speaking of Tuesday, um, this is a podcast about Atlanta, and there's an event Tuesday. If you are not a founding member, if you have not heard, if you have been on a hole in the ground, first off, I don't blame you. Um, second off, uh, yeah, Atlanta United's kit's getting released, y'all. Yeah, um, this is kind of cool. I like what they've they've put together for this to do a, a big public unveiling. The Tabernacle is just an awesome spot. If you are listening to us and you have not been to a concert at the Tabernacle, you're doing it wrong. Um, it's one of my favorite places to see a show. It should be really cool for this, and it's they've kind of got like a block party vibe as well. So I'm excited about it. Um, what I'm kind of wondering is are there going to be any surprises to the night? Because I think everybody is pretty well set on this home kit being red and black stripes in some form or fashion. The only surprise of the night is going to, the, the only thing that's popped into my head and I'm not saying it'll happen. So please don't take it as that is having the, having someone come out and model that kit, someone on the roster that we don't know of yet, because as good as things like Conrad Burry are, and uh, the sportslogos.net guys are as good as they are about finding leaks. One thing this city does better than just about every other city as far as sports goes is they don't let things leak. They, they, things get out when they want them to get out. So that kind of hope against hope back in my mind thing is, oh, here's our kit. By the way, here is so-and-so, our next designated player. Uh, I think you're dreaming on that one. I know um, it's not a window, so it's, it's so hard to do in a transfer it, window. It's, outside not, window so. it's outside of a window. It's an international week. So, I mean, you can't even like pull off a surprise of, of Kenwin Jones being there because he'll be busy. Um, Wayne Rooney's going to look so good in the red and black. <laughs> oh, man. You just made a lot of people angry. Um, I made myself angry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's I, I think you you... <laughs> That's actually a, a good prop bet as to who will come out modeling the kit. Um, if I'm picking right now off the top of my head, it's ludicrous. That's fine. Luda in, in the kit, I'm actually kind of cool with that. Um, maybe an impromptu concert, I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, it could be pretty cool. And then a watch party for the USA-Costa Rica game. Like we've, we've, we've done this. Yeah, it could be pretty sweet. Um, I guess, you know... I. Like I said, I think red and black stripes, everybody's kind of ready for that. So will there be anything that we don't expect about this kit? I mean, 
I guess I keep coming back to, you know, how are they going to use gold and how is gold going to be a major part of it? Because it's, it's a major part of the brand, a major part of the logo. Will it be a major part of the home kit? That's a good question. I keep thinking, um, I've seen a couple of renderings pop up online. The thing that pops into my head is the red and black with maybe the AmFam logo in gold on the front. Yeah. You can make it work. It's not, it's not, you, you can, you can make it really ugly or you can make it really pretty. Just, I trust them to make it really pretty. Um, maybe, maybe even like a gold trim or something. Um, they'll find a way to make it work. And it's the thing with kits. The thing with soccer in general is it's not like you get the same uniform and yeah, that's what you're going to wear for years and years and years. Oh, it, it can be subtle changes every year. Subtle is, is what I hope for. I, I hope that, because it, this is something that I feel like the U.S. national team has just failed at miserably in having a look. I think, you know, the closest maybe we've been to a look in recent years is the sash that we did for a while with, we had the red red jersey with a navy blue sash. The I, My favorite is the navy blue jersey with the white sash. You also had a, a white jersey with kind of a grayish slash and then you go to the, the retro stuff where you had a blue or a red slash. I think that was kind of the closest thing the U S has had to a consistent look. It's very important for the home Jersey to have an identity. You can play with the second Jersey. You can play even more with a third kit. Oh, I'm terrified of what a third kit's going to look like in the city. <laughs> the home- there's, there's so much potential there that, yeah, like Gladys Knight could appear on the third jersey for all we know. Wow, he just went there. Um, the home jersey has to have an identity, and it has to have some consistency. You can make subtle changes. You can change things. But you think of AC Milan, you think of red and black stripes. You think of Juventus, you think of black and white stripes. You think of River Plate, and it's the white with the red red sash. Um, these things are really important, and it's important from a long-term perspective of – People seeing a team and knowing what the look is. I mean, the Braves have had, outside of the the red, white, and blue years, they've had a fairly consistent look. I mean, going back to the Milwaukee years, um, that's important. It's it's critical because I think when you see teams that constantly switch their identity in terms of look and jersey and all that, they're they're always struggling. I mean. Let's let's take it back to a, another Atlanta institution, Coca Cola. Coca Cola has always had a look and feel, and when you dig into like the, their marketing history, they've always had a consistent feel to their their advertising. Pepsi has constantly switched around and looked around and tried different things, and you know they're trying to appeal to kids one minute, then adults, then be edgy, and it's Coke has been very consistent. And to be fair, Coke has taken the approach you're talking about. Like, Coke's main product, it's looked that way. But if you're talking about, say, Atlanta United's second or third kits, if you think about Coca-Cola's second or third products, Sprite, Pib, those kind of things, they've changed their looks over the years. They've gotten experimental. They've gotten creative. But yep, you can have fun they, with those. They, they stand tried and true with the original. I'm on board with you. I want something. I'm hoping that it's kind of that red and black Really subtle. The, the thing that keeps popping into my head, like I said, is the red and black. Maybe the logos in gold, and maybe like gold trim. Um, I don't have an opinion on collars. I know some people have opinions on collars that rival their opinions on pro rel. Um, <laughs> this is true. 
I don't have an opinion there. Do do what feels good. I, I'm cool either way. It depends on on the look of the jersey. I mean, I I've had jerseys that have collars that I really like, and I've had some that the collar just looks really stupid. So it just depends on the overall look. I just hope it looks clean because, like, when I think of like the USA kit, the one I still like, and the one I'm really mad at myself for never buying was the Centennial kit, the white with just the just the old crest right. on the top. I liked it. It was clean. It was pretty. Because right now, the only USA kit I own is the uh, the popsicle bottle rocket, the red, white, and blue that they wore in the last World Cup. And what's that? Hey, that really grew on me. Oh, I hated it at first, and I bought one the day after John Brooks scored that first goal. So. Yeah, it was the whole look of the full kit that won me over on that. Because just the shirt, I didn't really like until I saw it with a full kit, and it looked good, and it worked. That's another thing to keep in mind on Tuesday is they've said they're they're unveiling the whole kit. So it's not just a jersey they're unveiling. It's going to be the whole look. So, you know, then you get into some questions. I think a lot of people have assumed black shorts. Um, do they you know get crazy and go with red shorts? Uh, is it you know maybe not as strong of a red and black stripe that, as you think? Is it more like a, you know, Barcelona's been at times with thicker stripes? Um, Barcelona's one of those teams that, like they've had that 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 same look, but they've tweaked it a little bit sometimes. Never a total overchange. It, and they've tried some things inside of you know their identity, and that's what this is going to be about. Tuesday is the next step, and I in nailing down the identity of Atlanta United, and it's it's a big, it's actually a really big moment. Um, you know, when it when the word broke, I was kind of like, oh, that's really cool. And more and more I think about it, like we've talked about, you know, statement of intent with a lot of things that Atlanta United has done, uh, you know, from signing Hector Vichalba as your first designated player to going out and getting a Tata Martino as your first manager to the investment in the academy and the training facility. This coming over, you know, coming across correctly and in an authentic way and establishing the Atlanta United brand is extremely important in the long term. So uh, again, you get back to, you know, they've done, you know, most everything correct so far. I would expect this is going to be a fun time on Tuesday and I'd expect they're going to get the, the inaugural kit, right? I mean, they've talked about, from the logo and just the brand as being authentic and legitimate, I would expect this is not going to be, this is not going to be a 1996 MLS kit. This is going to be a, you know, a traditional looking kit. So you're saying it's not going to be like the old, uh, the old days with Umbro and the shiny look and the shorts and, well, I'm, I'm just not interested anymore. Uh, I had I had the Umbro uh, checkerboard jersey and shorts. I had a team that wore that look. It was cool in 1992 or three, I think, when I wore it. I'm old. Yeah. Um, no, it worked. It. I, I what I'm glad is we're not going to be in a situation where we're making up names for colors, like some MLS teams did in the early days. If you haven't seen it, it's just one of those iconic MLS pictures from the MLS unveiled press conference. And I think it was early or mid-1995 when they released all of the uniforms for the first year. It might have been late 95. Um, some of those things were just hideous. 
And I mean, the players that came out in them just looked embarrassed to be wearing it. Um, that's not going to happen this time. You know, you compare, and this this shows a lot how MLS has grown. You look at that MLS unveiled press conference with the just ridiculous looks for some of those teams to what this will be on Tuesday, which will be, you know, a look, a feel that you could drop in any you know football playing country in the world, and they would get it, and it wouldn't be out of place. That's that's a huge step. And that's what I'm hoping for is something something that's subtle and something that works. We'll, be, we'll see, and we'll both be there Tuesday. If you have questions or concerns or criticisms, you just want to yell at us, probably just me, um, we'll be there Tuesday. So come find us. Uh, there may be a peach pit involved afterward as well. So we'll just have to see. But, yeah, if, you, if you're not already going, uh, if, you can, if you can get out there, it's expected to be a really good time. I can't I, I can't think of an event that I haven't been to from Atlanta United that hasn't been really well done and really fun. Yeah, they they're they're good at what they do and I would expect Tuesday will will not be an exception to that and I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see uh I'm expecting sales will be very good. <laughs> I'm expecting honestly I'm expecting to be able to either buy it or pre-order that night. I think they said they're going to be on sale. I'm not. Sh- don't quote me on that. If if I'm wrong, I apologize profusely. But I thought I had seen that kits would be or jerseys would be on sale uh, Tuesday. I I I hope that's right. <laughs> no, that's fair by me. Um. <laughs> if it's wrong, don't throw things at the guy in the Kangol hat on Tuesday, please. Or do I mean? Hey. Um. Yeah. Uh, hey, any other tidbits you wanted to hit on, Jason? No. Um. I mean, the biggest thing is the the U.S. Mexico game tomorrow, and then Costa Rica on Tuesday, and the the United Kit release. It's there's a lot going on, and the game tomorrow is big. I mean, that's you know we we've talked about it, and we we definitely agreed that we were not gonna turn this into a political discussion because this is about a soccer game and this is about two soccer teams and a great rivalry. But I don't want what happened politically earlier this week in the country to affect people's enjoyment of tomorrow. If you're a soccer fan and you're listening to the show, I'm assuming that you're a hardcore soccer fan. Enjoy tomorrow and enjoy cheering for your country, whether you're you know cheering for the U S or Mexico and Enjoy it. I mean, that's just what it keeps coming back to is it's it's a game that we don't see every week. It's a game that we don't see every year. This is the game every cycle of World Cup qualifying that is a benchmark. So don't let what happened earlier this week affect your enjoyment of this game. That's, um, that's a good way to put it. Um it's been a weird week for a lot of people. Some people have liked it. Some people haven't. That's a personal opinion based on whoever you are and however you feel. We've been able in this country and around the world to use sports to come together. Some people use it to uh, as an excuse to, co- to, to separate themselves and to get apart. But I like to think that we can use it to come together. And while you can't really push everything out of the window, it's 90 minutes to two hours where you can wrap yourself up in one of the biggest events that this sport in this country can give you. The World Cup's always a big deal, 
Uh, USA doesn't have a World Cup, obviously, in terms of the trophy, I mean. But this game, as you said, it's a big deal. USA-Mexico means a lot. It means a lot to a lot of people. I went to school with plenty of friends who are Mexican-American, and this game strikes a chord with them. I have watched people scream, cry, cheer, do whatever over this game. My hope is that everyone has a really good time. If you are in Columbus, if you're going to watch the game, please have a blast. And more importantly, take care of each other. And just at the end of the game, like that rivalry, once, once that game is over, uh, we still got to work together and we're still, we're still a big family. And as we try and grow this sport in this country, that's a big deal is that we are still a big family and it takes all of us for this game to keep growing in this country. And I think a really positive showing tomorrow night would go a long way to that. Yeah. I have kind of a, I may be a different perspective um, on this game. You know, my work with soccer in the streets and working with Hispanic youth and the team that I coached for four or five years out of college park in East point Estudiantes was predominantly Mexican. And I've always had a different perspective on this game because of that. And I know so many American fans who, you know, not, and this is not from anything else other than soccer, but always cheer against the Mexican national team. And I've, I've never been able to do that since I coached these guys. And I can't tell you how many times after practice we would talk about you know, U.S.-Mexico. And no matter if the game was a year away, six months away, six weeks away, or the next day, we would always talk about, you know, oh, who's better? Oh, who's going to be able to, to mark Chicharito? Oh, who's going to be able to stop Clint Dempsey? Um, that's what it's about. And, you know, I've I've always had an appreciation for for the Mexican team and the Mexican league. And, you know, a lot of that is due to, you know, the, the guys that I coached at, at soccer in the streets. So, you know, I, every time this game comes around, I always think of those guys and, and think of our, our trash talking back and forth and our, you know, pretty in-depth conversations about, you know, what we thought about the game and, and the players and the tactics. And, you know, I always kind of cherish that. So, this game's always important to me, you know, even more so than just being a, the biggest game the U.S. can play every every cycle. It's, you know, it's it always reminds me, gives me lots of great memories about the time coaching those guys. No, for me, it's just how whether or not I can show my face around my friends anymore. Um, well, yeah, that was a big part of it too. Because if if the U.S. lost, then that next practice session, uh, I took a lot of heat from a lot of players because of it. But if the U.S. won, then yeah, you know, I got to I got to crow about it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that about wraps it up this week, um, and we'll leave it at that. So get excited for USA-Mexico tonight if you're listening to this on Friday morning, and we'll leave you at that. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with us, that's absolutely possible. Jump on Twitter. You can find us at Peachtree underscore post. Also over at Dirty South Soccer. Go there for your Atlanta United news. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. Uh, keep you up to date with everything. Keep your eye out as well uh, for the Peach Pit. Jason giving you an update on daily things. And the best way to do that, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Overcast, 
whatever your podcast choice is, and make sure you're keeping up with us. You can follow Jason Longshore at Longshoe, L-O-N-G-S-H-O-E. You can find me, Jarrett underscore Smith. And uh, that wraps it up for this week. So until next week, we'll see you. Take care.